Good morning. It's a real, real joy to be with you on this Good Friday. Now, the Brazilian footballer Pele is one of the best of all time, and apparently he scored a goal that was so good that a Brazilian news channel um, showed that same goal every single day afterwards for an entire year, and there was not a single complaint sent into the news channel for a whole year. And in a kind of related way, that is exactly how we should look at Jesus' death on the cross. For many of us, we'll have literally heard this story thousands of times before, but we mustn't ever move beyond it. Or it might be that this is your first time here, or you've been a churchgoer for years, and yeah, you know Jesus dying on the cross is significant and important in some way, but you've never entirely understood why. That was me just a few years ago, and I thought at the time that I actually did understand what the cross is all about. So if either of those are you, you've got the privilege of watching that goal for the first time. All I'm going to be unpacking is King Jesus died to save a sinful people. One short sentence that's like a bottomless Nando's Coke, we can and should drink and drink and drink from it, and it will never run dry. Now, if you love a good heading and you know I do, then number one is a sinful people. All of the Bible readings we've had so far have been from Matthew's account of Jesus's life, and we're in chapter 27. And verses 32 to 37 say this, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and he forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And there are surprises here, right? Look at verse 35. Jesus being crucified is dealt with in a single line. And it's worth mentioning that in the first century, um, paper was seriously expensive, so there are no throwaway lines in Scripture. So why has Matthew chosen to write so little about Jesus being crucified and so much about small details, like whether he had anything to drink in verse 34 or what happened to his clothes in verse 35? And the answer is Psalm 22. King David, who was arguably the best Jewish um, king that the people ever had, wrote this psalm roughly a thousand years before what's going on here in Matthew 27. And the details of Psalm 22 are mind-blowingly similar to Matthew 27. And I'm not just reaching with this. Jesus himself quotes the first line of Psalm 22 in verse 46. He wants us to read Matthew 27 in the light of that psalm. And in fact, Matthew, all the way through his gospel, has been writing to an audience who really knows the Old Testament. And so all the way through, he's been showing how Jesus fulfills a huge number of prophecies from the Old Testament. This isn't an accidental death. This wasn't a mistake. This has always been God's plan. Why does Matthew write verse 34? Because of Psalm 22, verse 15, my mouth is dried up like a pot's herd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Why does Matthew write verse 35? 
Because of Psalm 22, verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Remember, this is a thousand years before as we go through this. Verse 38, two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. They mock him. Those who walk past as they see a naked man nailed through the wrists and ankles to a slab of wood choose to mock him. Did he deserve this? As we read Matthew's account, we see that every single second in Jesus' life, he loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind and strength. Jesus loved and spent time with those who were shunned in his culture, prostitutes, lepers, tax collectors. He was patient with an arrogant and stupid group of young men. And he poured absolutely everything all day, every day into living a life that perfectly pleased his father. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this is true to the extent that Peter, who travelled with Jesus, lived with him for three years, witnessed every single one of Jesus' moods, you know, how he was in the morning, how he was in the evening, could say of him in 1 Peter 2 verse 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Friends, this is the perfect man. Nobody has ever been able to say anything against his character. And both leaders and followers of the people of God sentenced him to die and humiliated him. Verse 40, save yourself, come down from the cross if you are the son of God. It's heartbreaking that he could have done, right? He could have saved himself. He could have come down from the cross. He was the son of God. Imagine the intense temptation that Jesus went through to come down from the cross and watch all fall to their knees, worshipping him. You see, at this moment, somehow, Jesus is sustaining the very atoms that make up the nails that have gone through his wrists and ankles. He is staying on the cross for the sake of those who have nailed him. Verse 42 to 43, he saved himself. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Do you get this? Yeah, he could save others. Yes, he could save himself. But he couldn't do both. And verse 44, those who are dying on their own crosses find the energy amidst their agonising pain to taunt him, to blaspheme him. At this moment, Jesus is utterly alone and his own people have crucified their king. And before we use this as an opportunity to shake our heads at how genuinely evil these people were, it was also us. We killed him. The lyrics from How Deep the Father's Love for Us say this. 
Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Friends, remember, this is planned. Psalm 22, verse 6 to 8. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they said. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And Psalm 22, verse 16 to 17. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. Number two then, the king dies. Verses 45 to 50. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Crucifixion was abolished in 315 AD because it was too inhumane. The Romans actually outlawed it. And I could genuinely describe the crucifixion in ways that would make all of you squirm. But I'm not going to because Matthew doesn't. And there's something a lot, lot heavier going on here. You see, in a nearby garden, only a few hours earlier, Jesus was deeply disturbed. We get told this in the previous chapter, in Matthew 26, verse 38 to 39. Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. But this is interesting, isn't it? Because there's been a number of people who have died seriously nasty deaths throughout history. And a lot of them did it without being overwhelmed with sorrow. So either Jesus is less brave than a number of people who have gone to their deaths. Or there is something unique about this cup. On the cross, Jesus drinks this cup. Friends, as I was writing the next few words, I was genuinely close to crying because the cup was filled with the wrath of God. God's right anger against sinners. Verses 45 to 46. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of us have done what the Bible calls sin. And I get that that's offensive. You know, I'm not as bad as he is, definitely not as bad as she is. I support my local food bank, buy food for the homeless, faithful to my partner. I'm loyal to my friends. But all of us have believed lies about God. All of us have not lived our lives in a way worthy of him. If any of you knew my heart, you would probably get up and leave and refuse to listen to me. 
And because of this, our relationship with God is severed. We've severed it with our sin. And God is so good, so good. He's the beautiful creator of the universe, full of love and restoration and mercy and gentleness. And because he's good and worthy, he can't let our rebellion against him stand. It wouldn't be right. So the right and just and good penalty for the severing of relationship with God is his full righteous anger. We deserve to be cut off from God's presence forever. We deserve hell. We deserve God's judgment. And the cherry on top of the cake is that we've all persuaded ourselves that we don't. What can we do about it? Nothing. There's nothing that we can do about it. So he did. Do you see? Jesus Christ, the King, who has always existed, always lived in an infinitely perfect, loving and joyful relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit, in these most terrible moments, is cut off from God. Jesus Christ is cut off. He is cursed. The darkness in verse 45 really physically happened, but it was pointing to this deeper reality. In this moment of horror, Jesus is not in relationship with his Father. Verse 46 is the only recorded prayer in Scripture where Jesus doesn't call God his Father. Psalm 22 verse 1 to 2 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. We will never know how much it hurt. We've never been in a relationship with this depth of love to understand it. Jesus Christ, God himself, the perfect, loving, warm, innocent, righteous and holy man, hangs on the cross as the sins of God's chosen people, that sinful people, are placed on him. In the newest Avengers film, Thor bears the full force of a star's energy. It's an awesome scene. It's immense. And Jesus, hanging on the cross, bears the full force of God's wrath. This is called penal substitution. Penal because it's to do with penalty and substitution because Jesus takes our place. And this is the heart of the gospel. And there's tragically so many people who are trying to deny that that's the case. Jesus on the cross experiences hell. He drains the cup of God's wrath to the very bottom so that there is not one single drop left. The song, It Is Well With My Soul, puts this gloriously. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. That is what's happening on the cross. And Jesus stays there. Friends, we who deserve God's wrath, God loves us. He loves me. He loves you. Do you feel unloved? Do you feel neglected by your spouse? Or you're not sure what your school friends really think of you? Or you're single and you don't want to be? You don't have any close relationships? Your family is more turbulent than you want? Well, for anyone who has asked to be forgiven from their sin, has turned from it and follows Jesus, God so deeply loves you 
that he willingly sent his willing son to die in your place. Don't base whether you believe God loves you on how you feel about whether God loves you or not, or how happy you feel at any given time. How do you know that God dearly loves you if you're a follower of Jesus? Because Jesus Christ, when he bore God's wrath, was thinking of you. It was for you. He loves you. There is not one drop left in that cup for you. Amen? Amen. And it gets better. Because on the cross, when Jesus took our sin on himself, he gave us his moral perfection. It's not just that God isn't angry with us anymore. He is impressed by you because of what Jesus has achieved. He gives to you. He adores you. He smiles at you. He's so proud of you. And all of that is freely given to you. You did not earn it, but he gives it to you anyway. Number three then, the king saves. Verses 51 to 54. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. He did it. It worked. In the Jewish temple, there was a most holy place. This was where God displayed his presence. And there was a curtain that separated this from the rest of the temple. It was 18 meters high and nine meters wide. That's taller than the Hollywood sign and wider than the length of a bus. Only someone with the role of being high priest could go through the curtain and enter this place once a year. And even then, he had to make painstaking preparations, washing himself, wearing the right clothes, um, burning the right incense with the right sacrifices in place, all of that. And yet, in verse 51, the curtain is torn from top to bottom. God coming down rather than humanity working up. Now, there is access. Jesus' full and final sacrifice on the cross worked. He has paved a way for perfect access to God. We can be in God's presence in relationship with him. And there's life after death to come. We'll be examining this on Sunday, Sunday in further detail, so I won't do it too much. But in verse 52, if you look at it, people really did get raised from the dead. If you were there, you'd have seen it. But it's flagging up the deeper point that all who are trusting in Jesus' death on the cross will one day be raised to life like Jesus was. Amen. So there we go. King Jesus died to save a sinful people. As I finish, I'd love to invite Josh and the band back up. They're going to lead us in a song in just a moment. But if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus or you're not sure if you are, Look at the centurion in verse 54. He was in charge of the execution. He's seen so many criminals killed this way before. And yet he says about the way that Jesus died, surely he was the son of God. I want to encourage you to read Matthew's gospel for yourself. 
We believe that God speaks to us through it and wrestle with whether you think this is true. If it is, you can see how urgently we all need to respond to it. And if you are a follower of Jesus, let this warm your heart. I just want to hear this again and again and again. I want it to be like Pele's goal. And I don't say this lightly. Jesus went through hell for us. Nothing, genuinely nothing, can separate us from the love of God shown in Jesus. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't we stand to our feet as we go to the next song?